Okay, so um, I got in trouble last week because I didn't record. Ollie and, and Anita were not impressed. They're like, why aren't you recording your messages? And I'm like, well, and they're like, we want them. And I'm like, it'll be like the smallest podcast audience in the world. And they said, and also the most enthusiastic. Uh, so that was, that was nice of them. Um, in fact, uh, Anita even left us a, a review on Google. And... And prior to that, it was just Toby gave us five stars because Toby's a champ. Uh, but Anita actually left us a really lovely review, so that was very kind of her. Um, so hi, Anita. I'm recording now. Um, she is heading to PNG tomorrow, whatever their time is tomorrow. Um, so it's all on. So we, if you have a, um, a moment when you pray, consider uh, praying for Anita as she is doing her field research that that all goes well and safely because PNG's kind of sketchy. So uh, we want it to be excellent for her. All right. So uh, I have been very busy looking after my children because my wife has been absent. So today uh, we'll be bordering on academic, not so much inspirational. So if that's your thing, lucky you. Uh, I, I really enjoy that, but... Uh, I told Jess I was doing that and she literally said, I don't think I can sit through that. One star. So, so rude. I just value authenticity in relationships. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to read firstly from Acts 17. Yeah. I'm going to read a few verses from Acts 17. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. That's not how you pronounce that. I, this is Jess's fault. Last night, it was like midnight, and I was telling her what I was talking about, and I kept reading it wrong, and now it's in my head wrong. Thessalonica, it's actually Thessaloniki, in, if you're actually in Greece. Um, so we're going to go with Thessalonica. Uh, Loniki, because that's the one that's in my brain now, uh, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Look at that. Uh, and as uh, was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews who were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are defying, all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post bonds and let them go. So Thessa Laniki, because I can't remember how to say it in English, even though it's written in front of me. Thanks, Jess. Um, is 
kind of Macedonian, so it's Greek. So if you kind of head up from Jerusalem and you head all the way around and then you cross like past where Istanbul is now into the Asia kind of area and you get into Greek and it's over that end. So it's a Greek area that has been kind of taken over by the Romans. Um, it was a pretty prominent strategic kind of spot. So it was kind of in between a whole bunch of places. So it kept getting taken over by different people. At this time, it's, it's uh, being run by the Romans. And Paul and his companions have come there with the gospel. And it's not like now where you think, well, if I was to go, most places they've heard of Jesus. They are literally taking the gospel there for the first time. And they go to the synagogue because there are Jews in the synagogue and in the city. And they're preaching about Jesus. And I love what Paul does because, uh, you know, in the synagogue, they didn't get together and have a worship service. They got together and they argued. I love it. They got together and they opened their scriptures and they said, what do you reckon? Well, this is what I reckon. And they argued over the scriptures and it wasn't combative. That was how they learned. So Paul argued from the scriptures. He said, here it is. You can see from your own scriptures that the Messiah must suffer and must die. And I'm telling you that that man is Jesus and that he died and that he rose again. And Paul... He, he has this great thing because he can be like, I was a rabbi. I was part of the Sanhedrin. But now I have come to believe in this Jesus. This Jesus who is the real true Messiah. He is the real true King. And many, many Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and Greeks and even prominent women came to faith. And this upset some people. So they uh, rallied up a mob but they couldn't find Paul and Silas because they'd already done the dash and disappeared. And uh, so poor old um, Jason is left holding the ball because he's, he's the bloke that they're hanging out with. And Jason, and he gets in trouble, but thankfully gets let go um, after he posts bond. So it says that they were there for three Sabbath days, which means that they were only there for like three weeks, a month at most. This is like the dodgiest church plant in the history of the world at this point. They literally turned up and three weeks later, they get tossed out of the city. Like the church is literally the size that we are meeting in a house exactly like this in Jason's house. And it's like someone's come in, whipped up this frenzy and like, oh my goodness, there is a Messiah and he's died and risen again. And this is incredible. And then he's, he's gone. Oh. So we find out later because Paul writes to the um, Thessalonians later on. Uh, because he's really worried about them because, you know, there was a riot and all that. And he's thinking, gee whiz, I hope that the church that we started there is still going strong, but I'm really concerned for them. So he sends Timothy, uh, who's Greek. So he's like, Timothy, he won't get in as much trouble as if I turn up. So he sends Timothy. That's what you need. Uh, a little, I'm a nuisance, a little, uh, a guy that hangs around with you that just does what he's told. Uh, so he says, Timothy, you go there with that place where there's a riot and they tried to kill us. Yeah, you go there. Uh, and Timothy goes there and he gets the report from the church and he comes back to Paul and he says, and Paul's probably freaking out. He's thinking, this church that we started there, is it? And Timothy says, they're going great. And Paul is just so relieved. So Paul writes to them. And that's the first book of Thessalonians. He writes two books, uh, well, letters. He writes two letters to the Thessalonians. And in the first one, it's because he's just found out that they're doing great. So he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And there's only five chapters in this book. So if you ever want to sit down and read a whole Bible book, 
and be like, yeah, I read a whole book of the Bible. This is a good one. And polish it off real quick. So I'm going to read you the entire first chapter. It's like a few lines. So it just starts out. It's a letter. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So he's saying, this is the letter from us. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now we read this and it's like removed from our situation pretty significantly. But this is a real letter from real people written to this church that they are really genuinely concerned about. And, and Paul is just so relieved. And so this is really sincere. He's saying grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, because Timothy's just given him the report of this church. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So this is, this is this really heartfelt, I'm so glad to hear of the good things that you are doing. I'm so glad that you have held true to the things that, that we imitated, that we showed to you and that you then imitated. I'm so glad that, that I have heard not just how great you're doing from you, but also from the other areas around you. Timothy has brought this report that your witness is a model. You are a model church to the, to the people of Macedonia and Achaia. And I think when I look at, this, I go, I want to be this church. I want to be a little house church that is a model to all the other churches, that they, they are encouraged by the faith. They are prompted uh, to serve because of the example that is given. That's what we want. We want to be like the, the Thessalonians. And like I said, the, the Thessalonian church was in a pretty sketchy area. Like Paul got a whole three weeks before they tossed him out of town. And... They were a, like, so they were a Roman-ruled city, but they were what's called a free city. Uh, so they were really, really well-behaved. And as an award for being so well-behaved, the Romans said, we won't come and um, station our soldiers in your town and we won't you know, um, rule over you. We'll let you have your own local government. Uh, you don't have to pay tax to us. So long as you stay loyal, you can be a free city in the empire. So long as you are well behaved and because of this, this um, kind of the, the way they lived and the, they, they really embraced everything of Rome. Uh, their coins had pictures of Caesar on them and they had a thing called the imperial cult there. The imperial cult is a, uh, where they worshipped the emperor. So if you would go through the Thessaloniki, you would, um, you would see statues to Augustus Caesar, uh, who had been a Caesar just prior to 
this, this era. Um, you would see statues to him because they worshipped him and they venerated him as a god. So long as they stayed loyal to Rome, they would get left alone. And then this upstart turns up and he starts raising a rabble. He starts turning up in the synagogue and preaching about a new Lord. So they literally have a temple there to worship Caesar, the imperial cult, to worship King Caesar, Emperor Caesar. And then this guy turns up and he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is the real king. Jesus is the real emperor. Which is why it only took three weeks for them to want to toss him out of town. Because they don't want to lose their status as a free city. They don't want to have the Romans living there with them, making them behave. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to... So this is like a really contentious thing for them to try and start a church in this city. Before Augustus was around, before they were a Roman city, Zeus was on their coins. And now Augustus is on their coins. He has a, literally, he is considered a god in their city. Now uh, there's an oath that, that um, I couldn't find one that was directly from the Thessalonians, but another city just around the corner from that. There's an oath that they used to swear. I'm going to read you this oath so you get an idea of how invested they were in, in the Rome thing and in venerating the emperor. So it says this, it says, I swear by Jupiter, earth, sun, by all the gods and goddesses, and by Augustus himself, that I will be loyal to Caesar Augustus and to his children and descendants all my life in word, in deed, and in thought, regarding as friends whomever they so regard and considering as enemies whomever they so, they so adjudge, that in defence of their interests I will spare neither body, soul, life, nor children, but will in every way undergo every danger in defence of their interests. That whenever I perceive or hear anything being said or planned or done against them, I will lodge information about this and will be an enemy to whomever says or plans or does any such things. And that whomever they adjudge to be enemies, I will by land and sea with weapons and sword pursue and punish. This is like fully like crazy Nazi youth camp stuff. Like, they worshipped Augustus, even to the point of handing over their own children if they would, you know, if they would speak against him. There's this thing called the uh, Brienne Calendar Inscription. It's from 9 BC. Uh, and it makes this proclamation. It says, uh, Whereas Providence, that adorns all our lives, has in her display of concern and generosity in our behalf adorned our lives with the highest good. This is who providence has given them as the highest good. Augustus. Whom she has filled with virtue for the benefit of humanity and has in her uh, beneficence granted us and those who will come after us a saviour. So this is speaking about Augustus, the emperor. And has made war to cease and who shall put everything in peaceful order And whereas Caesar, when he was manifest, transcended the expectations of all who had anticipated the good news, not only by surpassing the benefits conferred by his predecessors, but by leaving no expectation of surpassing him to those who would come after him. With the result that the birthday of our God signaled the beginning of good news for the world because of him. So this is a statement where they're trying to justify and argue 
that they should restart the calendar with the beginning of the calendar being the birth of Augustus. Because he is their saviour, the one who brings peaceful order. He is the one who brings good news. So yeah, it goes on to talk about how they should restart the calendar. Now, uh, we're in the year 2018 AD, which um, in primary school you say is after death. Uh, but that's not what it means. It's, it means Anno Domini, which is the medieval Latin for the year of our Lord. So we are in the year of our Lord, 2018. Huh? New. It's the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And which Lord is it that it's talking about? Anyone? Jesus. It's not talking about Augustus. Augustus, great Augustus, saviour, one who brings peace, the bringer of good news. It's Jesus. When I uh, originally pulled the notes up, and I, I cut it out, I wish I kept it now. I, I looked up the length of empires in history. And uh, if you include all of the different versions of the Roman Empire, they were the longest existing empire, just at, at about 2,200 years of, of rule, either in city-states or as the empire itself. I think it was about 1,400 years the Republic of Rome existed as well. Uh, and then you go through that list and um, the next the two longest serving empires were in India. Um, there's a bit of Chinese stuff there. There's, a, there's like an island. I think there's like 25 people there. They have a really long reigning empire. Um, uh, but you go through it and then you get to things like colonialism. So like the, the British Empire. Uh, it's only been around for you know hundreds of years, not thousands of years. And, but when you look through that list, they've all come and gone. All of those empires, all of those great kingdoms, all of those great kings and Caesars and Tsars and you name it, dictators and despots, all of them, they come and they go. But in the year of our Lord, 2018, we recognize that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, not Caesar. The calendar that the, the, the timetable of the world runs on is marked by the birth of Jesus. But you can see that the Thessalonians were very loyal to Rome and they were very loyal to Caesar. So when Paul and Silas and Timothy, and when they're there and it says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. And here is the accusation against them. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And to be fair, the accusations against them were true. They were absolutely defying Caesar's, uh, Caesar's rule. When we read in Thessalonians, and here's the great thing. Paul writes to them after he's found out they're going well and he says, I heard and they tell you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What he's saying is you turned away from Caesar. You turned away from the imperial cult. You turned away from worshipping uh, this God that exists in Rome and now have turned to the true and living God and you serve him. And the testimony of your service to him has gone out all to the towns around you and to the cities around you. And he says, I'm so Proud. That's, this letter is him saying, I'm so glad. I'm, I rejoice. And I mean, he goes on to say, you know, 
you should do this and you should do this and, and he, you know, he encourages them uh, but also exhorts them. This book in Thessalonians, it's actually the first written record. Like it, chronologically, it's the first thing that was written in the New Testament. So it was written about 50 AD. Um, and then um, AD after... Yeah, anyway, it's written in 50 AD, not the birth, BC, before Jesus, AD's after. Anyway, uh, so it's written in about 50 AD. So the book of um, Acts that we also read from, because in the book of Acts, it tells us they went there. Uh, so it's like after the fact, writing about when they went there. But the letter that he wrote to them was 50 BC, 50 AD, or back to the front of my head now, uh, whereas Acts was written like 90 AD. Um, so this letter to Thessalonians is the earliest record we have in the New Testament. And he says, I, I've heard uh, how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you would have noted in that, in that um, calendar thing that I was reading earlier when, that it used the phrase good news. Because the word that we translate as gospel, Evangelion, literally uh, that we get to where we get evangelized and, evan- and, uh, and evangelical as well. Um, it means good news. But it wasn't a Christian word. It was a, uh, it was a word that had already uh, been in use for quite some time and it literally was good news. So if you find out that you're having a baby, that's good news. Or if you find out you're you know, in remission from uh, cancer or disease, then that's good news. Uh, like it was, but mostly it was used in a political context and it would be um, when Caesar issued a proclamation, that was good news. So it was a political term. So even the idea that the gospel of Jesus is the good news of Jesus is this really subversive, aggressive, well, you think the good news comes from Caesar, but really the good news comes from Jesus. So it's them undermining that thing. So they believe that Caesar ascended. But then actually we read in the, you know, in the, in the New Testament that Jesus ascended. Again, it's this, comp, like this, this comparison. It's this polemic against the idol worship and against the, the, the uh, imperial cult of Caesar. The good news of Jesus. And now the Romans did not stuff around with sedition, with treason. Like they were just about the most brutal empire that ever existed. And if you made any attempt to subvert the rule and authority of Rome, they decimated you. They utterly destroyed. Uh, There was a guy named Spartacus who was like a, his name's pretty famous. He was a slave. He was a, a gladiator who decided he didn't like that anymore. Uh, So he raised up a whole bunch of other people to revolt against Rome. And uh, Rome just just totally decimated them eventually. Uh, But after they killed them, Rome had 6,000 captives who were part of Spartacus' rebellion. So they crucified all 6,000 of them. And they strung them up from Rome all the way to Capua, which is like the main, one of the main roads in Rome. They, they strung up 6,000 people just so that you, if you were ever coming to Rome, you could be really sure this is what happens if you disagree with the Romans. It's pretty harsh. 
So it's into that environment that Paul is running around all of the Roman provinces saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. The dude's nuts. And it's no surprise that they eventually um, chopped his head off. Because he was treasonous. He was rebellious. He was raising a rabble. He was against Caesar. When Jesus was um, taken and he was taken to Pontius Pilate, and this is in John 19, it says, it was the day of preparation at the Passover. It was about noon. And Pilate brings Jesus out and he says, here is your king, speaking to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. This is the Pharisees, the crowds, the the Jewish people. We have no king but Caesar. says, this is what the chief priest answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. You see, even within Judaism, even within the synagogue at its highest possible levels, there was this complicity between religion and state between the the Sanhedrin and the ruling uh, Sadducees and Pharisees and the state. We have no king but Caesar. And Paul, who was one of their number, he gets saved. He has this experience of Jesus and then his message completely changes. He goes from Saul, he becomes Paul. He goes from worshipping Yahweh and being complicit with Caesar to worshipping Yahweh and his son, Jesus. Which is why when he writes ultimately to the Roman church, and he says to them, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we do this just to some tacky sinner's prayer at the end of a service where we emotionally manipulate teenagers. That's not what this is for, for the Roman people. Paul is writing to them. And in the same way with the Thessalonians, he's writing to them and he's saying, if you confess to treason, if you confess to totally you know, not worshipping Caesar and you say, no, Jesus is Lord, he is emperor, he is Caesar, his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, then the next bit is a given. And believe in your heart. Because I promise you, you don't get up and defy Rome in Rome and not believe it. All of these guys went to their death proclaiming Jesus as saviour, as king because it was totally and utterly treasonous to do that. I love this. Right at the beginning of the book of Romans it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And I reckon we have days where we, you know, we're uh, embarrassed by or ashamed or scared or intimidated because we don't want to express something of our faith. But we don't live in Caesar's Rome. This is what it was for the early church to be part of the body of Christ. It was dangerous. It was subversive. 
not ashamed of the gospel. And for me, the, the, last, the journey of the last five years or so is my own personal kind of picture and worldview of God has changed. I, I think I can more honestly say today than ever before that I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Because in the past, I was a little bit ashamed of the bloody, violent, genocidal portraits of God. I was a little embarrassed by you know, certain things that, certain, that we just believe because we were told to believe that. But as I have come to accept that God is like Jesus, I can honestly say I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. And the people of the Thessalonian church were not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, not the good news of Caesar Augustus or the good news of Caesar Tiberius or the good news of insert every Caesar that came after that. It's Jesus that they worshipped. Offering allegiance to Jesus for people in the early church did mean a dangerous life. It meant a sacrificial, long-suffering love for one another and for the people that they lived around. I heard this great line. I wish I could remember the guy whose name it was. He says this though. He says, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. So often I think that as Christians, it's easy to look at the gospel of Jesus as good advice on how to be a better person, how to live. No, no, it is good news. It is good news for the poor. It is good news for the broken. It's good news for the foreigner. And it is good news for, um, for women and children who would certainly in, in the society of the Romans, there wasn't a lot of good news for them. It's good news for the Greek and the Gentile, the male and the female and the slave and the free. It's not just good advice on how to be a nice person. It is dangerously good news that should subvert your entire world. Because his kingdom is come and his kingdom is coming. And, and it is my prayer that if someone came, if Timothy came into our midst that he would hear of the good works and the things that we are doing and that he would go and share a good report of us. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our good news came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What does it mean for us to take a stand in the same way they did against the idolatry? So for them to make a stand was to stand against the imperial cult, to stand against the worship of the empire and the emperor, 
to, to stand against that. But for us, there are idols that exist in our, in our lives and in our community and in our workplaces and schools. There are idols that exist that we bow down to, that we submit to. Idols and practices of sexual immorality and greed and cold-heartedness and, and, and selfish ambition and pride. These things are just the normal, acceptable, reasonable worship of our city and our town. We have a cold-heartedness towards our neighbour and we worship power and money. So what does it mean for us in our words, in our deeds, to declare Jesus as Lord? To believe in our heart. To seek out justice for, and mercy for poor and disenfranchised people. To live in such a way that we can honestly say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is good news. I'm not ashamed of giving good news to a refugee. I'm not ashamed of giving good news to a, 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 a homosexual or a transgender person. I'm not ashamed to give them good news. I'm going to preach loudly and boldly that there is good news from heaven for them. I am not ashamed to speak in my school or in my workplace to my boss or to my friend about the good news of Jesus. Because it costs the Thessalonians a great deal and it costs Paul and Silas and Timothy a great deal. And you know what? I don't think it really often costs us that much. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you, that you set the example of sacrifice and love. I want to thank you that we have this record in the scripture of, 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 of small churches like the Thessalonians. Just a handful of people gathering in a house with at best three weeks worth of teaching about Jesus. But desperately serving you that they open the, the scriptures for them the old and they see the Messiah. I pray that we, would, that we would see you in the scriptures and that we would boldly and unashamedly worship you. That we wouldn't be afraid of empire. That we wouldn't be afraid of, of, um, of the consequence of truly loving and serving you. I pray that our community would be a model, a witness and example that people would hear of our love for one another and our sacrifice for our community. I thank you that you are Lord and King. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.